0: Today's BS episode on The Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, our 2018 presenting sponsor. Innovation in sports have always given teams the edge, whether it's the RPO in the Super Bowl, damn it, or Houston shooting 43 threes a game. The same goes for hiring. ZipRecruiter on the cutting edge of candidate matching technology that learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and then invites them to apply for your job. A whopping 80% of employers who posted Joe Bun's job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, my old Grantland teammate, Jonathan Abrams, wrote a new book. It's the definitive oral history of one of my favorite TV series ever, The Wire. It's called All the Pieces Matter, The Inside Story of The Wire, Abrams interviewed absolutely everybody the book comes out on February 13th you can order it right now on amazon.com barnesnoble.com or wherever else you buy books Curtis are you excited for the new Abrams wire book
1: huge little taste of it on the ringer today I'm very excited
0: yeah we did we put a little excerpt on the ringer.com today which is just loaded with awesome stuff from the weekend and from this week in particular Kevin Clark's piece right after the Super Bowl. A, a, a pseudo-gamer, Brian, uh, was really good. So, the gamer's
1: uh, back. The gamer is back.
0: Uh, so check that out. Good luck to Abrams. That's our dude. He's a Grantland OG. Wrote, uh, wrote some of the best things we had on Grantland, including the oral history about the Artest melee, which had one of my favorite stories where he went to – he was trying to get Steven Jackson and hit him up in the locker room and the PR person asked Stephen Jackson if he wanted to talk about the Test Melee. And Stephen Jackson said, I've been waiting to talk about this for 10 years. It's like exactly <laughs> what you want to hear when you're working in oral history. So anyway, Abrams, it's called All the Pieces Matter, the inside of the story. Uh, inside Story of the Wire. Check it out. Uh, Ringer NBA Show goes through five episodes this week. And we have a bunch of stuff coming for the trade deadline. On this podcast on Thursday, I'm waiting until the end of the trade deadline. And then I'm doing a podcast because I feel like a couple things are going to happen. Don't forget to check out Ringer 360, the video we did of the Super Bowl, uh, of all of our staff, mostly Philly, watching the Super Bowl unfold. It's really cool done by Jason Gallagher. Coming up, the Sports Reporters, Brian Curtis, Jason Gay. But first, Pearl Jim. <laughs> Jason is on the line. Brian Curtis is on the line from Australia. Usually we do this with me and Brian in person and Jason on the phone. Hopefully we don't step on each other too much. Lots going on in sports. The Super Bowl just happened. I don't know if you guys heard. Philly uh, Philly beat the Patriots. Jason, did you cover the Super Bowl?
2: I did. I did.
0: How was it? And
2: I have to say, it, it, it was one of the best Super Bowls. Uh, you know, we've been on this good streak recently of some, some rather uh, – fantastic super bowls but man the ringer is kevin clark he is like you know he's turning into the new peter king that guy just had a gaggle of people around him at all times i'm just you know i used to work with kevin back at the wall street journal and, and i don't even recognize the guy anymore he has such fancy clothes and like he's practically an aristocrat now
0: he uh he used super bowl week for what it was he 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 went there. He did a whole bunch of stuff, and now you just blew up his his head, and now we're not going to be able to fit it through the office door. He uh, the Minnesota yeah. thing that that stunned me only because I've been to these, so you can kind of read between the lines with the tweets and and uh, the stories and all that stuff. is just what a bad idea it is to have the Super Bowl in a place that's <laughs> zero degree weather. It's really one of the stupidest ideas ever. It's supposed to be this fun thing where you're outdoors and you're doing all kinds of stuff for... You know New Orleans, Miami, all the all the Super Bowl cities that we knew would be awesome, and this one everybody has to stay indoors because it's zero degrees, and people are just aimlessly walking around a mall. Whose idea was this, Brian? Why did this happen?
1: <laughs> I think my favorite part was all the media members who did the ice fishing stunt. Yeah, like I made a, like a short list, and somehow we brought together Deadspin and Al Roker to oh, do the ice fishing stunt. Like both both came to that idea separately. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was it was very very funny.
0: Have you it, it, this seems to happen every year, but I noticed it the most this year that the reaction cycle is now instantaneous for the Super Bowl. In the past it would be like the Super Bowl happened, you'd watch ESPN for like an hour and a half. People would weigh in. Maybe there as Twitter evolved this decade, maybe there's stuff on Twitter. Now it's like Everything's up within a couple hours. Like I, I just look at what we did. Like we had GM Street with Tate and Lombardi had a podcast within two hours of the game. We had probably five pieces up. We might have even had a piece about the halftime show up that might have been up before the game ended. Uh there was just this flood of content that was Sunday night West Coast time. It was easy to read. And then by Monday, you know, Sal and I taped a podcast at twelve fifteen East Coast time. And I'm almost thinking, like, was this too late? Is it, is it, do we people even care about this game anymore? What do you guys think of the reaction cycle?
2: I mean, I think it's absolutely true that um, there's just an incredible volume of analysis immediately after the game. I mean, it almost feels like watching the post game shows. I mean, I remember getting back, you know, I got back to the hotel around midnight and watching, you know, the ESPN late post game show with Mike Greenberg on a, and steady stream field and feeling even that was kind of behind the game cycle. I mean, we pretty much moved on at that point to what are they tearing down in Philadelphia? Right. And Malcolm <laughs> Butler, those were the two stories that processing the game itself kind of felt old.
1: That's why the Butler story stood out to me so much, because it was the one thing that we could not instantly figure out, right? Yeah. It's like you have all of Super Bowl, all of NFL media in the same place. And all of a sudden, Butler's crying on the sidelines before the game. And everybody goes, wait, what? And Michelle Tafoya can't get any answers. And they kind of got a few answers, but not many out of Belichick after the game. And it was like an actual mystery. Yeah. Uh, and and kind of still is. It was amazing.
0: You know, I one thing I've noticed, and and it doesn't just happen in sports, it happens in everything. But there's kind of a follow the leader with bigger stories that kind of unfold. And everybody just kind of swarms on that one story. And you saw that happen with the Malcolm Butler thing. What I thought was really weird was first of all, he wa he didn't have that good of a season. And no. Second of all, and by the way, I mean, I have all the emails and texts from my buddy Hench. Like he he used to we had this joking text during the year, like the last the last big play Malcolm Butler ever made was the Super Bowl interception. Like it was just a running joke. Like we're yeah. complaining about him, yeah. but he meanwhile he's his hero. Um but i was amazed nobody kind of flipped it around and were like are we sure malcolm butler would have made a difference like the front seven didn't touch falls for four quarters he did whatever the hell he wanted and you're telling me like this one defensive back thing was going to swing the game it, it was just it's strange to me that the conversations all seem to go down one direct line and there's and then you have like the crazy hot takes and there, there's no nuance anymore it's really
1: frustrating I don't know if this message got garbled on the way to Australia, but did Stephen A. Smith really call the decision to bench him pure evil?
0: Today? Yeah, so you know, there's there's where day. you get the hot takes, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Pure pure evil. You know, it seems like maybe like 10% evil at, at most uh, decision to bench Malcolm Butler. I think, you know, when the Pats lost the game, you know, he fit, right? It fits the narrative you're talking about because the first thing you do is say, well, what happened and who can we blame for this? Right. And if you can blame Bill Belichick, which is something you can't really have do very often or ever.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh,
1: for making a personnel decision. Right. It's an incredibly appealing story. Jason.
2: It is. And, and uh, you know, I did a little bit of listening to Boston Sports Radio yesterday and you hear for the first time. It's basically 15 years people complaining about Bill Belichick and saying, you know, he might be just a Parcells guy. I don't know about him. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure about Belichick. Uh, and it's the typical reaction. You have to lash out somewhere. Um, you know, it's tough to argue with anything the Patriots did offensively, but defensively, I mean, it just felt like they did not make a stop all night. I, the other part to me is also like, uh, what does the city of Detroit feel about Matt Patricia right now? I mean, it's kind oh of hard gosh. to throw that guy a welcome parade after that night.
0: Yeah, I didn't understand. I think this has happened with Belichick in the past with Romeo Cornell and Charlie Weiss and even McDaniels when uh he got a job super early. There there's a you feel like you get a Belichick disciple and you're just basically getting Belichick, and I'm not I'm not sure that's the case. Patricia, I think McDaniels is gonna be an incredible head coach. And I actually like the fact that he failed in Denver because I think sometimes yeah. when you fail like that, you learn from uh yeah. For the next stop, basically. But Patricia, I'll be very interested to see what happened because this was a team that, you know, in any big game was playing from behind and basically needed a superhuman performance from Brady. Plus, Alshon Jeffrey th- throwing us an interception. Like, if he just <laughs> catches that or it goes out <laughs> of bounds, That's they're right. up by two touchdowns and that the game might right. end up being a blowout. But, uh, right. do you guys, I'll start with you, Brian, on this one. Do you guys like Super Bowl week anymore? Do you feel like it's this necessary evil? Like, do you consume the content? Are you like, oh, cool, I get to read a week of Super Bowl stories, or do you just shut it out?
1: I consumed almost nothing. Uh, I consumed a bunch of Twitter headlines. It felt, you know, it felt like we have gone, and I know this is a gradual process over the years, but there's like a bar stoolization of the media that's sort of happening at something like Super Bowl, where it's all bits, yeah, and it's all gags. And, you know, there's a couple like, you know, somebody went to Fargo or I think actually two people went to Fargo to ask, you know, what are are you you sad that Carson Wentz isn't playing in the Super Bowl? And, you know, somebody went to uh, and did the full story in Texas and all that stuff. But like there was there was almost nothing. And, you know, it seemed like every time I was on Twitter, somebody was wandering around the mall, making fun of the mall or, you know, ice fishing, like I said earlier. And, yeah, it just it seemed very, very bit heavy.
0: You know, it's. It's really tough when you're there for a week. I I went to a bunch of Super Bowls and then just stopped because you go and and you're expected to write every day about something, but you're basically writing about the same things everybody else is writing. And you're assuming that everybody else cares about what it's like there. Because really, like, if if you're going to a Super Bowl and you're there on a Monday, your main job is what's it like here, in my opinion. But I'm not sure anybody cares. Like, for me, it's like I saw Minnesota last week. And I was like, "What's it like there? It's cold. Okay, I'm good. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't really need anything else. Oh, there's a giant long mall to walk around. All righty. Uh, but what I thought was really fun, and you know, we experimented with it a lot at the Ringer, and I thought it worked. were you know, like stuff like Instagram Stories. We had Roger Sherman yeah. there the day of, and he was just doing these little twelve second videos of." Here's what it looks like outside the stadium. Here's what, here's how much cocktails cost. Here's where you get beers. I was like riveted because it was, that's the kind of stuff that I've never really <laughs> seen. I don't know what the Minnesota stadium's like. And I wonder like Brian talked about the bar Um, I wonder if that's the future of the Super Bowl. It's just these little Instagram videos and clips and here's what a party's like. And here's what the – Max. do they even yeah. have the Maxim party anymore? I don't know. Here's what the Maxim party's like. There's Chris <laughs> Berman with 20 fans around him and you're just experiencing it with these little videos. But where does that leave you, Jason, the old school calmness, calmness?
2: I'll tell you where it leaves me. It leaves me flying in on Saturday night, which is what I do this year. I probably shouldn't admit to that. <laughs> wow. um, but, 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 I mean, let's not forget, uh, this Super Bowl was denied what would have been one of the great Super Bowl storylines of all time, which was the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, they were just one win away from being the first ever Super mm. Bowl Host team in their own stadium—that would have been pretty awesome. I think it would have justified all of the nonsense of five-degree, minus five-degree weather. Um, and uh, you know, let's face it, New England—we've been here before. What possible storyline is there to go into the game talking about Philadelphia is not the most adorable uh, team ever, either? And I think a lot of the, sort of the general sporting public was kind of, you know not into seven days of buildup than this one. Uh, fortunately, again, the game turned out pretty terrifically. And I want to ask you, there was a funny transition that happened after this game, which was basically this had been a season of piling on the NFL. We've never seen anything like it in terms of just, you know, the protests, the politics, all the complaints about the quality of play, the credit quarterbacking, just the, general malaise around the sport, declining ratings and so on. And then lo and behold, people are writing these, you know, treacly tributes to the sport saying, this is why football is football and it (laughs) will remain part of the American experience. Um, It was an amazing transition from what the first uh, five months of the season were all about.
0: So I noticed that and I agreed with it because the game was awesome. I think that's why people get so frustrated when football is that bad in September and October because they yeah. know there's just a higher level to be played. And when you watch bad football, you're comparing it to games, you know, like Super Bowl 52. That's what people want. I think yeah. the problem is abolishing the practice time and the scrimmages and all the stuff that they took away and the off-season workouts and everything that you kind of need to do to get ready combined with uh some of the safety stuff and everything else it's just it takes kind of 9 to 10 weeks to get there. I thought the Steelers Pats yeah. game was really good. But that was what week 14 or week 15. It really does seem like you yeah. you have to treat the first 9 weeks as the preseason. Speaking of treatment, Brian Collinsworth enemy number 1 with the Eagles. Now, 3 years ago <laughs> He was enemy number one along with Michaels with the Patriots because when they beat the Seahawks, Patriot fans like myself were furious that they kept bringing up Gate. They brought it up in the fourth quarter when Brady's coming back. They're having a <laughs> conversation about it. There's four minutes left. Even after, it was kind of like, well, you know, and they just seemed to try to taint the Patriots as the game went along when it at that point it was just allegations. Uh, you noticed and you wrote about for the ringer how the Eagles fans just – turned on Collinsworth in a massive way as the game was going on. Is this the future of sports? Every announcer is just going to get shit on and that's what their life's going to be like.
1: It's the present of sports. I mean, It's <laughs> what it is right now. I mean, I think they would all tell you that. And you know, it's funny because the things they were mad at him about were not the deflate gate thing, which you're talking about. It was more like I've looked at this replay and I didn't think this was a catch or I'm not sure this is a catch, or I'm just trying to predict that the referees aren't going to call this a catch after reviewing it. Yeah. And that's what I'm mad about. And to me, there's no doubt in my mind if the, the Pats had, you know, if those were two Pats touchdowns and he's looking at the same replay, he would have called it exactly the same way. Right. Yeah. But he's sitting there in real time trying to parse out the catch rule. And he and Michael's of course, referring, you know, mentally to catches they've seen overturned this year. They have no idea what it means, but Philly fans just turned on. It was like, it's like Paul Laduca was going after him on Twitter, which is just really random and funny to me. You know, like <laughs> uh, just everybody, like how dare you ruin? How dare you ruin your super our Super Bowl? You were the soundtrack of this game. When I rewatch this game, I'm going to have to put up with you. It's just hysterical to me.
0: I will say that if they had had Twitter during 2003, 2004 baseball playoffs. I shudder to think what would happen to Buck and McCarver with the Red Sox fans. I, sh- I really, I tremble. I tremble with fear for them because I can tell you I would have been all in going after those dudes every time they brought up Babe Ruth, all that stuff. I think we have a natural reaction to just hate announcers and, and they're yes. interfering with us. And I found like on NBA League Pass when I watch the games now, I just mute the TV. I, I put on podcasts because – what am I going to hear from a local announcer that is going to enlighten me or help me or help me understand basketball or anything? They're all like super biased. I include my beloved Tommy Heinsohn, who I do not mute, but they're all super biased. They don't really have anything to offer. They're all guys who retired 30 years ago. They didn't even play against any of the guys that I'm watching. And they just offer nothing. So here's the solution. Mute it. And it's a second – we always talk about second screen – with uh, how this is a second screen world now, to me, it's a it's a second set of ears world. Like there's you don't have to listen to TV sound anymore. We have so many better ways to do it. do you guys do you guys that's ever so, mute the announcers or no?
2: Uh, that's so funny. you mentioned it because one of the things they hand you at the Super Bowl is a little audio device that you could clip into one of your ears whereby you can hear the NBC feed while you're actually at the game. I never do it because it just feels like somehow wrong. I mean, I get the idea you 're going to get information that the announcers know and sometimes they know things that you can 't see just you 're there at the stadium, but it just seems really unnatural the idea that you're being there there and feeling all the the whole environment and then you're somehow you know putting yourself back in the television experience
0: Brian, do you remember uh, when uh I'm gonna say early '80s. You might not remember this. You might not have been old enough. But NBC ran a game with no announcers.
1: Oh yeah, famous story. Yeah, absolutely. It was weird. (laughs) And I think Fox did one later where they just had Jimmy Johnson and Terry Bradshaw. I'm I'm not if I'm remembering this correctly. And there would be no play-by-play guy. And Jimmy just sort of Terry turned into the bad play-by-play guy and Jimmy turned into the bad color guy like halfway through the game. And yeah. The total travesty. <laughs> I'm I'm very old-fashioned. This is I like to, again, if I'm, you know, league pass is a different story, but if it's like this, I want to be in Uncle Al's hands, right? Yeah. I want him to guide me through this, especially when it's in the fourth quarter of an, a really exciting game like that. Like I, and when I go to games and sit in press boxes, especially a football game for whatever reason, I miss the commentary, and I miss the announcing. and I miss just that that soundtrack and and those guys who are so good at what they do, sort of bringing you through. And that's that's why the outrage. and I totally understand, like it's a huge job. It's Twitter. You're going to be under the microscope. Nothing you can say is great. I get mad at announcers. And by the way, when you're talking about being mad at announcers, it's because when your team is playing, you're just in such a terrible emotional state and you just want to blame somebody. It's true. And it's like, there's Chris Collinsworth. Why not him? Let's be mad at him.
0: Yeah, people even turned on Romo a little bit as the season went along because he was too uh, chatty yeah. and all this stuff. <laughs> Romo's like the best innovation we've had uh, with announcing. I noticed during uh, this Super Bowl in particular, And I always thought Michaels and Collinsworth were A plus gold standard. I didn't think they were an A plus in that game. The most interesting thing, Michaels has almost called too many good games now. (laughs) Because that game was amazing. Like if you had put Kevin, like Kevin Harlan, if he had announced that game, would have lost his fucking mind. Michaels now is like, He's like Leo DiCaprio in a nightclub at age 45. He's just 25 years of having sex with models. And they're like, hey, Leo, would you like to meet this model? He's not impressed at all. Oh, well, she's a nine and a half. I've seen better. That's what I feel when I hear Michaels and that's these games. Like, it, I think Buck has actually surpassed him on the excitement scale now. Buck will rise yeah. to the occasion now. Michaels is like, I've seen everything. I, I can't. I, if Gronk had caught the hail mary, he would have been like, "Ah, oh, Gronk caught it! Patriots win the Super Bowl." <laughs> well,
1: there's so much. There's so much psychology, right? Because Buck is now compensating back because he was, you know, doing a summer all impression for a while, and everybody got yeah. mad at him because he wasn't excited enough. Right now, you're saying that Al has been so perfectly excited throughout his career, Miracle on Ice, et cetera, et cetera, that he's now. Going back, by the way, he he was that last play was a really hard play to put a call on, right? Oh yeah, because the way that ball and the hail mary sort of bounced up, and for a half second you thought yeah. the Patriots caught it, and then you had to glance back at the clock and say, oh wait, did all ten seconds run out right. on that hail mary? So you got just kind of a kind of by his standards anyway, kind of a block call. Let's
0: take a quick break. Now that the New Year's madness is over, it's time to work on your story for 2018. Legal Zoom can help you make this the year you finally get serious about launching and running your own business. Rest a little easier knowing that your family's future is squared away with the right estate plan. LegalZoom has been helping people like you take care of their dreams and responsibilities for more than 16 years. It's not a law firm, but they have the resources to keep you on the right path, including advice from their nationwide network of independent attorneys, all at your fingertips whether you want to take your business to the next level or take control of your family's future with an estate plan. LegalZoom plugs right into your life without billing you by the hour at legal zoom all pricing is given up front go to legalzoomcom slash bs and get special savings start writing your 2008 store 18 story with legal zoom now that is legalzoomcom slash bs legal zoom where life meets legal coming back um I don't. We're talking about announcers and innovations and all this stuff. You mentioned the Jimmy Terry Bradshaw game. NBA, I, I think it's NBA TV, has been d- experimenting a lot with this players club stuff where either there's no studio host and it's just players kind of hanging out. But then like these game broadcasts where it's all the players and it's supposed to be like a hangout with the players. But what happens is exactly what Brian described before the break. The players start trying to just imitate broadcasts like play by play. So like Brent Barry, who I think might have a case to be the best color guy in the NBA right now. I actually with the Steve Kervoid, if if I had to gun to my head, I could hear anybody be the color guy for a game. I'd probably pick Brent Barry. Mm. But they have him doing these put these players only nights, and he's the play by play guy. And instead of doing it like a hang, he tries to do it like Kevin Harlan would do it. And it doesn't make any sense to me. What What's the point of having a players night if you're going to have the guys imitate broadcasters? The whole point is like you have three players. Just shoot the shit. That's the gimmick. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Jason, start with you.
2: My my problem is that they just say players only so often during that segment. It drives me crazy. There needs to be like a $5,000 fine for every time that they say it. But <laughs> that thing works best as a format when they're flipping game to game and they're kind of feeling that you're, you know, flicking channels with these guys and you have a couple of games that are really good in the fourth quarter and so on. I mean, listen, I think that, you know, given what we're seeing and ratings attrition, given what we're seeing and uh, – the way that digital companies are trying to you know innovate with the game I think mixing it up is good I support all this it. never going to work perfectly it's going to take a long time to settle upon anything that's going to. and I actually don't think you're going to settle upon one thing I think what we're going to see is there're going to be multiple experiences for people and you know some folks are not going to you know want to watch uh, an a traditional sports broadcast some people are going to want to watch entirely on social media I mean that's the I think the most interesting development now with young audiences is not that they're not consuming sports or care about sports. They're just processing it in an entirely different way. The whole notion of like watching the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, you don't miss anything now. You know, you used to be afraid that if you weren't watching a game, you would miss some great highlight or play or have to stay up until 1130 to watch it on sports Center. Now you see it within nanoseconds. And so there's going to just be any kind, there's going to be multiple presentations of every game because there's no way to fill or to suit one uh, mentality.
0: I think part of the problem is the people that produce those games or those studio shows or whatever, they're used to doing things a certain way and they're terrified to mess with that way because ultimately they don't want to get a call from their boss being like, What the fuck just happened? Why did you allow that? Yeah. And yeah. so, they want to experiment, but they don't want to totally commit to it. I remember, I can't remember what year it was, but Jalen and I announced a game with Torrico, which I had really pitched him on, let us do this. It was an LA game. And the the conceit was we were just going to be me and Jalen and we were going to shoot the shit and not try to do it like a traditional broadcast. And we did it with Torrico. And he bought in. I like Torrico, by the way. This is not a bash on Tariqo. Um He bought in for the first three quarters and we kind of did our thing. And then, when the fourth quarter happened and it was like a relatively good game, he kind of took the reins. And it was like, <laughs> okay, now it's time to do this like a real basketball game. And it was so weird. It was this random, meaningless game between, I think, the Celtics and the Lakers or the Lakers and somebody. It meant nothing. There was nothing at stake. It was like February or March. And I don't know. I, I, I just think there's a fear. So then I look at the stuff that NBA TV's ha- doing, and it's like, it's players only. But it's not really players only. Like it's, they're still in these traditional sets with these sofas that were bought 10 years ago and it's still done like TV. And it's not, not, now you have the other side, which is like what KG's trying to do with Area 21, which I think is interesting. I just don't think, I'm not sure he's a TV person. He doesn't seem to really offer anything other than yelling and screaming. But yeah. that seems to be more of the model of, you know, here's, we're throwing a bunch of people in a room and who the hell knows what's going to happen. Really hard to pull off. What's your take, Brian?
1: Yeah. You know, the most successful version I've seen of this, they do during in college football national championship where they put all the coaches in a yeah. room together and their current coaches, first of all, so that gives it like a little, little edge and a little currency. Yeah. And then what they do is they rewind the film like really quickly, like in that perky jerky coaches film kind of way after every play and talk about what happened. So instead of having that traditional, you know, minute or 30 seconds between plays, you actually get all these guys kind of arguing, hey, look what he did there. Look how they snuck that tight end out there, all that stuff. That to me, because it's actually like a value add and it's actually, it's kind of a place I want to be, which is in, you know, with these experts watching the game. I find, I think the thing about it, it's like we want to blow up the announcer color guy thing. And, and again, I'm all for experimentation, but. I just think it's one of those things that's hard to blow up at the end of the day. And I think the studio, the studio shows where I'd start, by the way, just blow all those up, you know, basically besides inside the NBA. I mean, it's like, they're all boring. They're all terrible. There's, I just get nothing out of any of them, but, but the, but the way we do games, I think it's a lot harder.
0: Yeah. I, uh, so Sunday I was driving around when the Celtics were playing the Blazers. So I was listening to Sean Grandy, on uh on the serious nba station who's my friend so I'm, I'm a little biased on this but he's also like one of the few great basketball play-by-play guys there's only like about there's usually somewhere between six and nine out there on the planet who know who exactly know <laughs> the rhythm of how to do a basketball game and he was doing it with maxwell who's been around for a 100 years and uh And it's this great game, and it's back and forth, and he's describing everything. And it was like, I didn't even need to watch this on TV. He did such a good job with it. There's still a place for great play-by-play, and there's still a a place for the old-school, awesome combination. I think Michaels and Collinsworth have been good. I really liked Nance and Romo, and I also think we found out from Nance this year, who I think all of us kind of felt like probably shouldn't be a number one play-by-play guy anymore. And then you put him with Romo and all of a sudden Nance is good again. So much of it depends on chemistry. And I just think it's hard. Like TNT has never replaced Steve Kerr. They have Reggie Miller as their number one guy. I don't feel like any of us believe he's the number one guy. It's really hard to find those guys and have them rise to the occasion. Jason, who's your favorite basketball combo right
2: now? Well, it's always going to be Gorman and Tommy until the end for sure. But... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, there's part of me that feels like we sound like you know three guys talking about how much we love walking out and picking up our newspaper in the morning. That the experience of processing a game through a you know play-by-play person and, and an analyst is increasingly passe. I mean, it's hard to argue with you know. Let's take a basketball game. Like, is your young you know, NBA influencer fan, are they really like buckling down with uh, Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson, or are they, you know, I don't think you, so, you know, sucked into social media and they're following along with, you know, a half dozen people who work for you and a whole bunch of other Twitter voices who are giving you value add in terms of, you know, stats and breakdowns and videos and jokes. And it just seems more fun. I mean, you know, I, I always think with the Super Bowl, just go back to that for a second, that, you know, the Super Bowl is principally a television show, right? It's a great football game, but it's a television show. It's a massive spectacle. It's the most watched thing during the year. It's got this halftime show. The ratings peak during the halftime show, which I think is a really important thing to yeah. point out. And 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 now the the sort of um public tension has shifted to social media during the actual game itself. Like it just becomes this channel to dump on everything that's happening on the, on the on the Super Bowl, like Justin Timberlake. I mean, what is happening to Justin Timberlake's performance is, you know, it's, it's happening on the you know field, but it's also being you know rendered, criticized, praised, well, criticized more uh, on social media, and that is becomes the prism through which the whole experience is judged now.
0: I, I actually thought the Timberlake stuff was really unfair. People just love complaining about the halftime show is what we learned this year. It wasn't that bad. People are like, oh, my God. Uh, you know, I forgot to mention with the announcers I like for basketball, I think Doris is probably a very close number two to Brent to Brent Barry. And when they use her as a sideline reporter, I honestly want to punch myself in the face. Like, it's crazy. Doris is the best color person you have. The other one who's really good who – is better on the local games than I think I think she'll get better on the national games, but I think she scales it back a little bit. Kara Lawson does the color for the Washington Wizards games. And she's like fantastic. Yeah. That that's the one I would I would bet on long term, unless Steve Kerr ends up leaving the words. How would you just curious? Because this is something Chris Ryan and I argue about all the time. In a per if you could have a chance to recreate NBA TV and just start over with it, just completely throw it away, start over and try to make it a network that kind of matches how fun basketball Twitter is and how annoying basketball Twitter is, but also how fun it is. (laughs) Uh, What would you do? How, How would you blow, I'll start with you, Brian. How would you blow up NBA TV, start over and try to make it a network that fits in with where we are in
1: 2018? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, um, I think, you know, I think it's, it's funny because, so by, just to circle back to, to a point made a minute ago, I think maybe the answer to who's the favorite uh, color analyst in, in the NBA, it's my, I find my answer is often nobody because it's a job that is really kind of a bad job, right? There's no John Madden, really, of NBA games. Right. There's no great, there's no great color analysts, There's no legacy of color. Analysts Cause they just don't get to talk enough. Right. It's not an analyst's, It's not an analyst profession.
0: It, I got to say it, having done it, it goes by fast. Like all of a sudden yeah. it's the end of the first quarter. You're like, what the hell just happened? I, I made four points.
1: <laughs> but remember the, um, like, you know, when we were watching, there were some, you know, finals, finals games in the, uh, in the eighties where it was like Steve Jones and, and Bill Walton calm in, in color. Right. Yeah. And you're just like, there would imagine if that had been the Super Bowl, there would have been blood on the walls at NBC. Like this is, but this could not happen. Magic Johnson in the booth a couple of times for the NBA finals. Isaiah. That would have never. Yeah. So I almost wonder if you should just go all, all play by play guy or play by play gal and, you know, zap to do something fun, like, you know, during timeouts or whatever, go to the player's room or something like that. Have guys, you know, shooting the shit and that kind of stuff, and and do some kind of fun thing like that. That might be some some way I'd sort of start to to blow it up a little. Brian,
2: bit. Brian, Brian, does it matter from a business standpoint? Because I think it's like, okay, Romo comes in this year and is inarguably probably the most celebrated, you know, analyst to show up in a sports broadcast in a long, long time, right? You know, just rapturous reviews. I agree that like he probably got a little chatty towards the end of the season, but um, it didn't move the needle for cBS. They still had the same kinds of declines that uh every other network experienced with uh, football. Um, you know, I look at what ESPN now has to do. They have to fill that role, and you know there's all this sort of criminology of how that's going to be uh, fisted out. Is it that important? Is there a killer hire that they can make that's going to somehow reflect with a uh, result in more re- uh, viewers? I, I, I don't think so.
0: This is the John Gruden uh, conundrum, right? They're paying John Gruden $7 million a year and not one extra person is watching Monday Night Football for John Gruden. <laughs> so you're just basically taking $7 right. million a year and setting it on fire.
1: Yeah, right. I, think the, I, I think the answer is no, no one's ever watched I me. Mean, maybe Madden, right, in his prime, was like, we'd have gotten you to watch a game that you would have otherwise not already watched. Of course, he was doing so many great NFC games, you would have watched it anyway. But I think I think the answer is like, with networks, care about is one, they want competence. You know, you don't want to have big events yeah. and somebody's doing it badly. But the other one, the other thing is you want the league to like you, right? Those guys are in yes. business with the league. So when you create a Romo or you have somebody like Trey Aikman or Collinsworth, or whatever, who's never going to, you know, who's, who's going to be a guy that Roger Goodell likes, right? And that's, and that is helpful for those guys. And that's, you know, part of their, part of their job, right? Is being nice to the leagues and being in good stead with them and, you know, you want a face of the network who's gonna who's gonna help you with that.
0: The best example of this is ESPN hiring Stan Van Gundy and Stern undoing it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Basically yeah, calling right. them and
0: being like, our rights deal are up or, or, our rights deal is up in a year. We don't want Stan Van Gundy on that show. We're not telling you to remove him, but our rights deal is up in a year and we don't want him on that show. You guys decide what to do. I had a phone call with Stan Van Gundy. We were going to work together. So excited. Oh, cool. Stan Van Gundy. And all of a sudden he was off the show. So, yeah, you have to make people happy. Um, I think there are two names out there. I don't know. I think they would affect the ratings positively a tiny bit. I I don't. They definitely wouldn't go down. And I think the buzz you would get would make it worth – the 7 million a year that they paid Gruden which was outrageous and ridiculous there are two names out there that could affect a network positively can you guess those two
1: names these people are not employed right now by networks
0: these people are <laughs> retired athletes who are not employed by networks right now
1: so Peyton Manning ding yeah. what's number what do you think Jason what's number 2
2: Oh god! Um,
1: the listeners are playing I know, along. I don't
2: know. Who, I don't know who number two is.
0: Kobe Bryant. Mm.
2: Oh, I thought you you for Monday Night Football.
0: No, I was saying for any sport.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, no, for sure.
0: Those are the for two. Sure.
2: Don't you? Don't you think also that ESPN sort of you know their their continued um, relationship with Kobe Bryant with these document uh, documentaries and so on. It's like, didn't he just get nominated for an Oscar? He did, um, but this is sort of part of keeping him in the family of ESPN with the idea that theoretically he could switch, you know, flip the switch at some point, and be like a game changer personality to them in basketball.
0: They is gave that him a,
2: an operating theory.
0: They gave him a, a show that I think has some potential. That a show that he wanted to do. He didn't want to be a talking head. He's creating this almost like this little scouting session room where I think it's a half hour, and he's doing ten of them, and he basically like. You're you're breaking down tape with Kobe, you, me, whoever. Yeah. Like we're just kind of in the room with him as he, as he pontificates and tells us stuff. It's interesting. Yeah. It's certainly an idea that we haven't seen yet. I think. Uh, but don't
2: you want to just hear him do the
0: game? I mean, yeah, on. fuck yeah. I, I mean, a Rod, who I think putting him with with Vaskersian and Jessica Mendoza is a bad idea. I think it should just be the two of them. But. I think A-Rod will be pretty good as a game announcer. You know, I I liked his point. I didn't think he was as good the second postseason as he was the first, but he's a star and I think he'll be able to break down stuff like watch how he jams him here. Here's what he should have done. Like he'll, he'll, I'll be able to learn things from him, which is kind of what I want from, from a bit, from my lead play baseball guy, which is not what we were getting with Aaron Boone and Jessica Mendoza. I'm sorry. So, um, I don't know. It's like anything else. It depends if, you, if it's the right name. All of a sudden it makes sense and it's awesome. But when it's John Gruden just talking in cliches for four quarters, it sucks.
2: I, I, I fear that we, we really do sound like geezers because I do feel like there is a huge proportion of the basketball audience now that is watching House of Highlights. That's how they process the NBA. Yeah, but no we, we,
0: we're conceding that, though. I, I, I 100% agree. I still think people watch games, though.
2: No, for sure, but I think that when you consider what is going to drive the bus for the league, it's house of highlights. Continue to get, yeah, and 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 you know that's an interesting you know case study into itself because that involves the NBA being you know, and other leagues being cool with you know the repurposing of highlights and so on. You know, there was a time where leagues would have never let that fly. Well, um, hold on, let's let's clearly.
0: walk that back a second. The NBA is cool with it. The NFL right. is, the NFL is uh, not <laughs> cool. Not cool at all. Yeah. They do not like yeah. it. So, yeah. you know, but you talk about House of Highlights. Like, they were at, I think, I forget what the exact number is, but I think they, they like, sextupled their audience over the last year or something. Is that possible? Yeah. I think they're up to, like, 8 million followers. They're at, like, a million 14 yeah. months ago. And yeah. it is. Like, we talked about this on a previous rep- uh, sports reporter's. This is the place that told me Zion Williamson mattered. I wouldn't have known yeah. that. I just, you know, yeah. I would have heard from uh, from from some scouting report or seen some Slam Magazine Top One Hundred or something. Now I can actually watch him dunk on people, and you weren't getting <laughs> that on on Sports Center. I think Brian, I think Sports Center is now acknowledging the House of Highlights thing, like you're seeing with the Snapchat show that they're doing. It's a Snapchat Sports Center that. Has been really successful for them, just from a financial standpoint. They still don't really know what to do with the real sports center, and I think, and I don't really know what the answer is either. What any insight on that?
1: Well, I just, I think you're right. They are acknowledging it. I think, I think it's funny because I think we think about how to jazz these up, and we think of the form, right? You know, it's going to be a quick Snapchat thing with music and you know, music over the stuff. But I think a lot of what we want. Uh, If I can speak for not only the geezers on this uh, call, but everyone else is you just want a lot of different things. Right. You want to see like the NBA highlight and then you want to see the high school kid who did the crazy thing. And then, you know, in the barstool realm, you want to see a guy fall off a tractor into a mud hole. Right. Or something (laughs) like that. Something fun. (laughs) You know, there's like there's this kind of there's this kind of aesthetic where you kind of want all that in the same place. Yeah, And I think, you know, SportsCenter has all, I mean, going back to Dana Keith, right, has always had a few funny little tags at the end. Here's the high school kid hitting the full court three and all that stuff. But I think what the magic is, is putting all that under one roof. Either it's in a Twitter account, it's on a website, however you want to do it, or, in you know, some kind of Snapchat SportsCenter show. That Because that's how people kind of want to consume it now, right? You yeah. just don't actually care about 20 full minutes of NBA highlights, but they'll watch this and then a funny thing and then this and this and, you know. Yeah, I think we want variety uh, more as much as anything.
0: We're doing, not to toot our own horn, but we're doing this weekly show, NBA Desktop, with Jason Concepcion. That's basically what you're just talking about. It's just a bunch of shit thrown into a seven-minute thing, and he bounces around, yeah. and it's all kind of the fun stuff that happens in the league. I really think it could be a daily show. It's like, I would rather watch this than, than sit through Sports Center and watch the the 25 minutes of highlights that get spread out over the course of an hour. This is just like what stupid shit happened. Did somebody make a three after their shoe fell off? Did who's mad at <laughs> yeah. who? What gossip is out there? Yeah. Whoa, that's a crazy tweet by that guy. And it's it kind of catches you up on uh, just kind of the the weird part of the NBA, which I think is the part we're all in love with right now. Hold on. We're going to take a break. Well, you've heard me talk about my shaving habits on this podcast. I have been shaving since college, I think. have, might have did a couple test runs in high school that went badly, but you know what changed my life? The Gillette Fusion Ultra Sensitive Skin Shaving Gel was the first shaving gel slash cream that I ever used that my neck wasn't completely ravaged afterwards and looked like I shaved with a cheese grater. Recently, I started using the Gillette Fusion Pro Shield Razor. I ordered it. I got four fillable razors and free shipping, and then every fourth order free just because I subscribed and that's what I think you should do. You can get Gillette Performance delivered to your door. No more getting mad at yourself because you just got back from the grocery store and realized you forgot to buy blades. Subscribe today. Pick your favorite razor and get every fourth order free. All you have to do is visit, visit Gillette online at com. All right, Jason, go ahead.
2: Brian, I have... <laughs> A uh, 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 Marshall McLuhan, any kind of question to ask you, which is that uh, uh, let's let's all let's all acknowledge that we we saw the poop video of the uh, Philadelphia uh Eagle I didn't. I didn't click celebrated. on it.
0: I didn't click on oh, it. You didn't? No, I knew what it was. I wasn't clicking on that. No.
2: Well, uh, a horse unburdened himself during the uh, celebration in Philadelphia, and a young gentleman in a Eagles jersey, uh, goaded by the crowd, uh, partook. Uh, and my question for you, Brian, is, you know, if we did not live in uh, the the era of, you know, social media and camera phones and you know immediate affirmation on, you know, busted coverage and Barstool and you know myriad other websites, does that man eat that poop?
1: <laughs> Ooh, that's a great question. I think the answer is no, probably, right? <laughs> um, I guess there's there's a, there's a further McLuhan-esque question of do, if he if he does eat it, you know, does it really exist, right? If it's not on camera or something like that. But um, <laughs> yes, exactly. I think I think it's. I'm amazed at how I, I said this to Shoemaker on the press box this week. I'm amazed at how the post championship celebration slash riot slash whatever it is has become content. You know, mm.
3: it's like, yes, it's just the yeah. same,
1: the, the same way that like, you know, oh, there's this terrible day at the end of the NFL season where we fire all the coaches. And then all of a sudden it becomes an ESPN show with Morton Schefter sitting there on their Blackberries. It's like, it's Black Monday, everybody. Welcome. I felt that happened. <laughs> it has now happened to the post Super Bowl thing where it's like, oh, all right, everybody, camera phones out. Here's all the 50 funniest things Philly fans did after the game.
3: Did well, you
1: I was just really weird.
0: I let me tell you something. If you think it's bad now or weird now wait till the next generation comes of age cuz I watch it with my kids First of all my kids love the horse shit video huge huge <laughs> fans big reaction uh My kids watched the Ringer 360 we did and now think Michael Bauman is some sort of uh, American hero for his performance in that whole thing where he's screaming like a madman. They were like, who is that guy? Why haven't you invited him over? That's just where things are going. People people like crazy. That's what they want. And, you know, I I, I think it's going to be interesting to see that chasm as that keeps going between this whole world that's going on over there, the barstoolization slash Instagram slash all this stuff versus this really conventional world where Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels are wondering what a catch is for five minutes and doing it in the most normal way possible. And that way is starting to feel older and older. Uh, speaking of old. Yeah. Speaking of old. Wait for this segue. Chris Berman. We have not talked about this <laughs> since he came back. I did talk about it on my podcast. Chris Berman came back with Tom Jackson. Teach. It was phenomenal. It it was He's simultaneously worse than ever, but greater than ever. And I loved it. And I loved having him there after the Super Bowl. And it felt like having my uncle at Thanksgiving that I haven't seen in a while. Like, he's a little crazy. He might talk about Trump. He might might bum out the table, but he's fucking funny as hell. And I'm used to him. And I understand him. And it's okay. And that's what it was like to have him back. Should Chris Berman come back? Where do you guys stand on this?
1: He might have voted for Trump, too, by the way, in addition (laughs) to talking about Trump. I think um, I think he I think we might need to bring Chris Berman back. Me, too. Like I felt like when he retired, there had just been 10 years of just grinding him down again, not unfairly. Right. For doing the same jokes and the Gary U.S. Bonds references and stuff like that. But like there's something about that that's really magical. Right and maybe maybe it's maybe it's twice a year is that when we need him no just championship bring games him back you, you, you i want, want him all back 17.
0: yeah i want him back <laughs> i want him back on nfl i i still say what you want about the guy the home run derby all the stuff that has been beaten to death i still think there is nobody more fun after a night of football to do the whole go through the highlights with the music and i'm just used to it and i like it and it's just better than whatever else is out there. I just point just show me anyone out there that's more entertaining after a game, after the Super Bowl, the awkward transitions with the players. He Berman's trying to do highlights and Jay a is sitting there and he's trying to weave him in. Like I just love it. It's I'm just used to it. Now we sound really old.
2: Well, isn't this just what happens with all culture? You know, you probably weren't watching, you know, Spice Girls when they huh? Broke through, but you know now you find a Spice Girls reunion kind of um, you know amusing and, and adorable and and uh, and there's an audience for it and and why not have Berman classic? It, it makes a lot of sense just from a business standpoint.
0: All right, this is a, this is a, I like this because you see nostalgia culture is now like pretty much two thirds of the music concert business, and you look <laughs> oh, at like and, and, and
2: yeah, hundred
0: percent. You look at the top 25 for like most successful tours, biggest grosses, most sold out football stadiums. And it's all people that we thought were washed up 20 years ago. And people just, the familiarity and the nostalgia of not just that, but like these serious channels that are from these little eras. Like you look at the serious channels, who has their own channel right now? It's the Eagles channel. It's the Billy Joel channel. It's Bruce Springsteen. It's it's uh, Pearl Jam. It's all people that started their careers at least 25 years ago or more. And here's my thought, Brian. You might are you sitting down, Brian?
1: I'm uh, <laughs> in fact,
0: because there was a rumor, and I had heard rumors about them bringing Dan Patrick back. Yeah. Well, if they wow, and I I I don't think it'll happen. But if they had given the 6 p.m. Sports Center every night to Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann. Would the Incredible. ratings have gone up?
1: Yes, one hundred percent. Yes,
0: one thousand percent. Yes, nostalgia. I think it's time yeah, for sports.
1: <laughs> well, I think one of, and one of the great things about announcers too, right? Is that they get to work a really long time, right? Chris Berman. I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. Is sixty two years old. Wow, that's young. That's I would have gone older. Announcer, right?
0: Yeah, I would. Like, I would have guessed yeah. seventy.
1: That's that's a decade plus younger than Al Michaels. So, of course, he's got juice left in the tank. I mean that's yes, yes, absolutely. I love this
2: idea, well, not to dampen the enthusiasm, but I worry <laughs> a little bit about the alchemy of you know modern sport with you know nostalgic voices, right? I mean, when you go to see the Eagles, okay, you're not wanting to hear the Eagles play their new shit, right? You want to hear hotel California, you want to hear the long line. you want to hear all that stuff, right and That is one of the tricks, I think, with nostalgia is that you have to sort of stay trapped in that, you know, older era. And can you do it with sports in the same way? Does Chris Berman, you know, narrating over, you know, a 2018 football game still hit you the same way it did in 1993? I don't
0: know. I don't think it works for um, play-by-play and color as much as it would for, uh, for something like Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann. I think would work. I don't think it would work a yeah. lot of the time, but I think for that it would work. I think it would work if Kornheiser and Wulbon had left PTI five years ago and they just brought them back. I, ESPN's at an, an interesting point right now because at that at that A Rod signing to me told me that they're now that ratings is now a priority again, and it's weird to say that ratings weren't a priority before, but I'm not a hundred percent sure they were. I think it was. More of the public perception of, we're trying all kinds of things. We're super committed to diversity. We're gonna try. We're. We, it's super important that we have a female uh, announcer on Monday Night Football, and we're trying 6 p.m. Sports Center with two young black hosts, stuff like that. I think it has now shifted, and it's that this is now a ratings business again. And I don't know if that's yeah. coming from Iger, but this is now about what can we put on the air that gets ratings. Period. And yeah. if the sports center on ESPN two in the mornings doesn't get ratings, guess what? That's going away. If Greenberg show that launches in April, if that thing's a disaster and people aren't watching it, guess what? They're not keeping it on for four years. They are all about what gets ratings. How do we drive people to the OTT service, and how do we kind of evolve? But most of all, how do we succeed? And I think that's that's well, going to be fascinating to see how it, how it unfolds.
2: Look no further than what Fox just paid for Thursday Night Football, the most derided night of sports programming in sports history. I mean, this was uh, a franchise that privately, virtually every network executive would tell you they wished the NFL killed because yep. you know, they felt it was diluting the quality of the product. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't fun to put on. It wasn't fun to you know, for audiences. The audiences hated it. And yet here, Fox comes flying through the gate with a record-busting deal, three point three billion dollars over five years uh, for the reason you cite. It rates. It just does. And regardless of how much we all hate it and pile on it, it's going to give you a bigger number than anything you could possibly put on that hour. So it justifies its cost. Uh, and 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 I think that really is the, the where it's still going to be at.
1: What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I just uh, looked at the ratings the other day for the primetime ratings. I think Thursday Night Football finished number three and four overall.
3: Yeah? Sunday yeah. was number yeah. one,
1: and it was number three and four. And you're like, wait, wait, so audiences hated Thursday Night Football again? <laughs> the games were all terrible again? Were they Were they really that terrible? Um, yeah, and by the way, to your point, Bill, about ESPN chasing numbers, what have the networks done when they're chasing numbers now? Reboots, right? Will and Grace is back. Murphy yeah. Brown is back. That's yeah. it. Like, Roseanne. Ah, Anna Keith are back, right? You know, I think that's the, that's totally would be in keeping with the times.
0: Pete, the networks are either rebooting things that they already did, or they're just ripping off ideas that already happened. Like The Resident is a good show. My wife watches The Resident. She loves The Resident. The Resident is basically the first year of ER or the first year of Grey's Anatomy just with different doctors. <laughs> there's that, there, There's no real science to it. It's a doctor show built around a young doctor who's got issues with women, but he's got a good heart and he's a little hot headed. I've seen that character <laughs> for 40 years, but it works and bring it back. And, and, uh, I think with sports sometimes, especially with the six o'clock sports center, which I still think could work, but with the six o'clock sports center, that's got to hit everybody. And you have to, up uh, you're, you're coming off this giant PTI audience and Th- there's a way to reach a lot of people with that show that they just have not made the right decisions for. And now a lot of the people who made those decisions aren't there anymore. I think the one thing, I don't have all the details yet on what this Fox and the R- the RSNs and all the stuff that's happening on that and this merger that's going to happen. I think the thing that is out there for them, that could be a really cool show that I've always wondered why it wasn't a show. And I think this was a big failing by FS1. I You know, you can talk about the money they've spent um, doubling down on like that Horowitz philosophy of just people arguing. The biggest mistake they made, they have all these different RSNs at NBA games. And people like my dad watch the Celtics pregame show, right? They're just watching Brian Scalabrini talking to uh, Abby <laughs> Chin about is Marcus Smart's hand getting better? What's going on? The show that's sitting there is bouncing around all these different locations, right? It's like a whip around well, did
2: show. Didn't they try to do that?
0: They did it. The MLB network did it where they whipped around to all the different spots, right? NBA. Have...
2: literally had a show called, uh, uh, called uh, America's Pregame, which I believe a big b- chunk of it was flipping around the RSN to their pregame but, announcers and saying, like, what's going on?
0: Right. But that wasn't NBA. That, to me, that wasn't oh, even sorry. marketed like an NBA show. For me, it's like, gotcha. I want NBA. It's It's 630. East Coast time, games are starting soon. Boom. Let's go to Boston and find out what happened with Marcus Smart's hand. Hey, let's go over to Charlotte and see if Nicholas Batum's gonna play. And it's just like this constant get me ready for all the games. With yeah. like the I, yeah. I don't know. I think that would work. And I think when uh maybe that's the future of 6 p.m. Sports Center, once they get all these RSNs. I don't know. I still haven't, nobody's really been able to explain to me how they're just gonna incorporate thousands more employees and all this Fox content. We'll see. Hold on. We're going to take a break. We've been talking about this on the BS podcast for the last couple of days. Pro Flowers and Sherry's Berries have teamed up to help you really impress your Valentine this year with their perfectly paired collection. Go ahead and think inside the box this Valentine's Day. It's really a one-of-a-kind gift. Your bouquet and dipped strawberries will arrive together in a beautifully specially designed box that will help keep your flowers fresh and your berries cold, guaranteed. Right now, my listeners can save 20% on any one of their perfectly paired combinations or any gift over $29 with my promo code BS. I know it's good because they sent us one. And the ringer's Liz Kelly. She stole it. She took it. We've never seen it again. But she reported that it was fantastic. There's only one way to get 20% off a perfectly paired gift over $29 featuring beautiful blooms from Pearl Flower's and freshly dipped strawberries from Sherry's Berries. All you have to do is visit proflowers.com today and enter my code BS at checkout, checkout. That is proflowers.com, code BS. Um. All right, quickly. Winter Olympics starts on Friday. I say this every four years, and now I'm saying it with as much passion and gusto as I've ever said it. I've never cared less about the Winter Olympics. I know I said this four years ago and I'm pretty sure I said this in 2010, but now that the NHL players aren't going, I over under, I might watch five hours. I don't know what, what's your over under for how many hours you're going to watch Brian?
1: I'm man. I am exactly with you. I'm just, I'm as out as I've ever been and I feel it's been a gradual process and I feel other years I was kind of out, until like day two and then i got sucked in happily sucked in and got in the drama but five hours sounds about right to me jason uh well i'm really psyched to
2: get on that 15 hour flight tomorrow oh no you're going Uh, oh no (laughs) (laughs) hold on we gotta stop you
0: (laughs) (laughs) can't you Uh, can't you um, smuggle smuggle marijuana on the plane and get arrested to try to get out of it can you do anything can (laughs) you start
2: an incident uh, I'm flying with the journal Benco and I'm just going to have him knock me out with a, with a hammer. Uh, when we, uh, get <laughs> off the runway, I, I feel like this is, uh, you know, a story that repeats itself, as you said, every, you know, four years or so that the relevancy of the Olympics is shrinking. I you know, also these, Ongoing stories of corruption, doping, you know, we had a horrifying scandal involving USA Gymnastics and the U.S. Olympic Committee. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been mostly bad news for uh, a very long while with these games, and I think the public is set up. I still think, though, it's one of those, you know, as we spoke about with Thursday Night Football, it is a diminishing returns question for networks. I mean, if you agree with the idea that you know the Olympics are basically whatever NBCs decides they are in this country. Um, then it's packaging, then it's something that's going to win the night. It's still going to, you know, I think NBC loves it, but it's going to win every night of the two weeks that it's on uh, from Pyeongchang. So, uh, yeah, but the, the idea of it having the kind of mind share that, you know, it did when we were younger. But let's not forget, let's not forget, Bill, the 1980 Winter Olympics, you know, the great Russia versus USA game, on tape delay. It was on tape delay, seven hours delay, I believe. Yeah. Um, so it's not like what we remember nostalgically was exactly perfect either.
0: Well, we only had three channels back then too. I think uh, <laughs> couple couple obstacles this time. That the no NHL thing, I think, is going to hurt. The fact that it's in um, that we're going all the way to Korea, a place that doesn't have snow, and um,
2: no, they have snow. They have this place has snow. It like is real snow or manuf- fake snow. <laughs> Actual real snow that they did not have to import from other countries. Get out of here. It is quite cold there. No,
0: no, this is is the first
2: cold winter Olympics we've had in years.
0: Oh, all right. I'm back in on that then. Um, (laughs) Figure skating still plays. That's going to work. Curling every four years has a moment for one night. (laughs) Yeah. Downhill skiing. Fun to watch. That's about where I'm getting off. I don't know. Is there what else am I missing?
2: Katie Couric. Uh, Katie Couric triumphant return to the Matt Lauer list. Uh, Winter Olympics coverage.
0: So Costas um, was Costas was basically like, "Fuck this! I'm out of here. I'm out." I'm, yes, yeah, this is Perico's first
2: Olympics. Yeah, Costas so, is so, like, so "You've I'm hired not. me
0: for the NFL and the Olympics, and I'm not going to do the NFL or the Olympics."
1: <laughs> Power <laughs> he's move. He's <laughs> He's out. Unbelievable! It's amazing. To, it's amazing to me. I never thought he'd walk away from that stuff. I never thought it, especially the Olympics. Right? That's his. That's his thing. That's been his thing since like '88. I want to say it's yeah. his
2: first Olympics.
0: I got to get him back um, on a podcast. I got to know what's going on with him because first you of all,
2: you try getting pink eye in Russia. Okay, I know
0: I'm, he really he suffered. I think I don't. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm ninety nine percent sure. That Goodell was like, get that guy off. You're not putting Costas. Maybe. You're not having Costas host the Super Bowl. Get get at, get him out. He is not going near the Super Bowl. I don't need his little lecture about concussion awareness and, <laughs> and Brandon Cook's going out in the first half and Costas lecturing everyone at halftime about concussions. He's gone. No way. If you ever want to he, see yeah. football again, he's gone.
1: He's been saying that for years, too, the concussion stuff. And I wonder if that one that was in I was like November, October November right at the University of Maryland was was the final deal. But he um, and I don't know if he just wants to do it. He doesn't seem like he wants to do it anymore. He just doesn't seem. Which is that what the true surprise to me is that Bob Costas doesn't want to do it, right? Yeah, you know that Bob Costas doesn't want to be America's host and sit up there, pink eye be damned, norovirus be damned, in uh, South Korea and go up there and and do that job. That's, it seems like the job he was always done a job he was built for.
0: I'll tell you what I'm really excited about. Uh, Jason and Ben Cohen, really they're having their own Olympics for who could find the quirkiest, weirdest story and write a 1600 (laughs) word piece about it. You know, you've, you've groomed Ben Cohen a little bit. You've helped him out. Um, you've shown him the way a little bit. Now this is really, uh, Teacher against against the pupil type of situation. I don't know. I I have Ben Ben Cohen as like a minus one forty favorite. I,
2: I think I, I think I have Ben too. Um, he's gotten really good. Um, but but you point to a topic I did want to raise with you, Bill, which is the idea that the you know just traditional sports coverage is completely passe. That everything nowadays has to be you know, quirky, the more esoteric, the better. Yeah. If you look at how the NBA is covered on a day to day basis now. The, the the stuff that actually happens on the court is almost inconsequential to whatever sort of goofy minutiae you can find with locker room dynamics of trades or, you know, free agency moves that are probably never gonna happen a bazillion years. It's almost become like telenovela, soap opera kind of stuff and it uh, does it is it is it a fad or are we really going to be talking about you know peanut butter shell, peanut butter and jelly sandwich uh, affectations for years?
0: I blame Twitter because I think some of the stuff that's being written now is being designed for the hundred for the two hundred and eighty character. Here's here's yeah. why Brian Curtis really went to Australia. He loves kangaroos. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> and that's like what Brian Curtis loves kangaroos, and you click on it. Right.
2: No, no, no. So the way it goes, Brian, you would tweet, you said I went to kangaroo. I don't know I went to Australia and saw some kangaroos. Think. <laughs> yeah. It's So, it's or no, no. So Brian
0: true, no, it would be Brian would be like, are kangaroos showing the NBA players the way toward a new blah blah blah? <laughs> like that's yeah, that's kind of right. NBA Twitter now
1: how to manage their sleep on the road we'd have to combine some kind of like with kangaroos thing in there with the kangaroos i i think this is totally right i i, I always joke with vera danny chow in the office and say that NBA twitter is the cheapest date in sports journalism you know <laughs> anything you write it's retweeted 200 times i've accidentally fallen into nba twitter a couple of times yeah and it's just it's the most welcoming place on earth right oh you wrote something funny and and cute and quirky and kind of a crazy angle about our league. We love you. Yes, good job. Write some more of these things. Write them long form, maybe. Yeah, there it is, is it, We and we, I, I agree with you. They're reverse engineer. I feel like the pieces to some extent are reverse engineered to play on Twitter. Absolutely.
0: Brian and I, we Jason, you missed it, but we were talking about what we want to talk to. Let's make this the last topic, and then we're going to go. The how the NBA is being covered now is the most celebratory it's ever been covered. And I I think more and more, even, even the people that are the most sourced and are breaking the most news are doing it so carefully in a way not to antagonize anybody. Everybody has their three or four killer sources. Everybody's kind of in different camps. We see a lot of the local writers have cozied up to GMs more than we've ever seen. And there's just not a lot of not a lot of like really super hypercritical thought. Now, I'm not talking about like yeah. the the, the uh, hot take slash first take slash LeBron is a choker. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about people are very careful now not to antagonize relationships. I think we've seen that more than ever. So there's that. But then there's also this celebration thing that seems to be happening. You feel it on basketball Twitter, and I've done it a couple times too, where it's like I love basketball. Isn't this the best? (laughs) It's like we've all turned into Bandini Brown, hyping the NBA. And and, and almost all of it's justified, but it's just a weird place for the league. The league has – I don't know how much they've done this, um, how much they have mastered this whole narrative, but – Man, it's like when you think of where the NBA was seven, eight years ago versus now. It's like every night is an orgasm about something that's happening on League <laughs> Pass. Very strange. What do uh, What do you Why do you think that it is, Jason?
2: I mean, I think partly it's you know it's a new generation of reporters who's coming in that might be coming from you know an enthusiast uh, standpoint. And Bill, let's not forget your sort of Oppenheimer role in all of this too. That please you have been a tremendous enthusiast for the sport of basketball you know, for many years now, and a lot of people who are coming up have been influenced by that, Seeing the, you know, profile you built for yourself by, you know, saying no to the sort of, you know, traditional boundaries and guardrails of sports coverage. So, you know, I blame you entirely. But I the, the biggest thing <laughs> here and the sort of most spoken mirrors, the part of it is, all this is a distraction from the fact that the Golden State Warriors are probably going to win the championship in four or five games. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of just screaming and yelling that's going on that's sort of obligated the fact that there's really not a real threat against one of the most powerful basketball teams of all time. Yeah, I guess Houston probably given a little bit of a run in the conference semifinals, but there's just so much noise for a season and for a league that's not terribly competitive at the moment. Uh, and, and, and I think that's the story that's not getting said because it's not really fun to go on television and say, like, you know what? We know what's going to
0: happen the third week of June. Yeah. What do you think, Brian?
1: I think that's right. I think that's right. I think think the same thing. It's like, but I think NBA Twitter and NBA writers have kind of done this amazing thing where they've sort of said, you know, we're going to talk about, I I feel like I've heard so much about the Milwaukee Bucks for the last three, four years,
3: (laughs) Mm. you know, a team that has
1: no consequence in, in anything. And I'm just like... But that's that is kind of the magic of it, I think, too. And the good part of it is, like, people are like let's consider, let's think about the bobcats, let's think about the raptors some more, let's let's write about them. And and I think I think Jason's right. It's from NBA because the NBA was the smallest league. I think writing the current crop of writers came from so many places: the places we work, the ESPN satellite things, a lot of bloggers right? the sort of Zach Lowe thing, the Woj thing. That you just have so many different styles and so many quirky styles and. That sort of made it what it is today.
0: I think the worst thing that's hey. happened is, and I think it it's happening mostly. Man, this is really an old guy on the couch podcast. I think it's happening mostly because a lot of the people are younger, but people aren't using any historical context when they talk about the stuff that's happening now. You know, like I think there's people yeah. that really do think LeBron is the goat, but yeah, and and their argument would basically be, well, Jordan, he won six rings, but it's not all about rings. Here's the math and all that stuff. But when Jordan ascended to his apex, there was no argument about whether he was the GOAT. Everyone was like, that guy's the best ever. There's no question. We're not even debating this. And it's really tough to hear... I've noticed this a lot. I've noticed this not just with basketball but with everything where it's a lot of hyperbole. We're the greatest ever, best ever. This is the best playoffs ever. That's the best playoff game ever. And nobody is seeming to put this in any context. Like we've had a lot of great playoff games. We've had a lot of great players. Kareem Kareem was probably the third or fourth best player of all time and on Kobe Bryant night, Magic Johnson goes up and says Kobe's the greatest Laker ever. Like I don't know if Kobe's in the top three for that conversation but people – you know, the under 40 probably think that's true. And trust me, he was not. Um, But I have noticed hyperbole, um, everybody trying to blow an experience that we're all watching in the moment as like the most unbelievable thing that's happened. And maybe that's just where we're going these days. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think part of it, you have to look at it holistically too, across sports that, you know, football, let's face it, there's a lot of unpleasantness to football. There's a really sort of, you know, lingering darkness about the future of the sport and the long-term health impact of the sport. Uh, Basketball doesn't have those kinds of issues. There's, you know, a constant storyline nowadays of, you know, when is the NBA going to inevitably surpass football as the most important sport in America? You know, I think it's going to take a generation at least. But that belief, that narrative is out there. I also think that, you know, basketball has been very canny so nba and silver have been very canny about uh you know again sort of letting the social media sharing fly but also embracing kind of the new thinking around the sport you look at you know baseball for example it took a whole generation for the sport to finally come around on the idea of analytics being the game changer and a lot of resistance not just from the teams but from sports writers say this is all bs but now, no one sits around and says like, "Oh, you know, I think three-point you know offenses are a terrible idea. So, I mean, maybe Phil Jackson does, but there 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 isn't that kind of resistance. If you're a young person covering the game and thinking differently about the game, you're being validated by the whole sport. So that's
0: that I, think, you know, I gotta say though, that's that's swung too far though. I think okay. I think the way that we're using advanced metrics now in basketball is out of whack with how the teams use it. The difference Mm -hmm. with the baseball was that the smarter teams were using the advanced stats as ways to find talent and it was working and they were just ahead of us. And then we caught up in basketball. Everyone I've talked to about this talks about how small the sample sizes are and how carried away a lot of the media members get with like, Oh, he's shooting 48% from three. And meanwhile, the, the, he's 26 for 50. You know, and like the stuff with the five man lineups and the off on stuff and the offensive defensive ratings, they're interesting, but the, the the teams don't really rely on that stuff as much as I think people think. And if anything, I think yeah. they don't really trust the numbers until it gets to like the 60, 70 game mark. Um, it's just, yeah. it's the swings can be too wild. And I, I thought, apex of this was whoever wrote that piece about Kawhi Leonard's actually not that good on defense. It's like, all right, we've <laughs> gone crazy. This is lunacy. Whereas like in baseball, you have these stats that just cut and dry tell you how some, how good somebody is, right? Mike war, Mike Trout, he's better. Mike Trout, Bryce Harper. We couldn't really argue about that because the math would give us the conclusion. There's no real nuance to it. In basketball, there's actually way more nuance than I think a lot of people are giving it credit for. And I I I think it's swung the wrong way, but I also think it doesn't really matter because like when I had Steve Kerr on my podcast, it's like, what do you look for in a box score after a game? And he's like opposing field goal percentage, turnovers and assists. It's like yeah. he's not like, oh, how did our five man lineup do today? What was Sean Livingston's <laughs> plus minus? He doesn't give right, a fuck. Purr, he cares about yeah. he cares yeah. about those three things. And that's not like an old school way to think. I still think some of the advanced metrics are great and I think they've learned a lot. But I think once we get into evaluating players and five man units, you really have to take you have to treat those numbers with a certain certain amount of caution. And I'm, what I'm seeing, some people aren't. What do you think, Brian?
1: I just think when you talk about, you know, the greatest series ever and LeBron's a goat and, you know, the leagues on the rise and this is historic, I I see a much, I also see a much older sports writing thing, which is that we all want to be there at the historic moment, right? We want to be there at the death of baseball. We were people talking about the death of the NFL this year. Like, really? (laughs) Is the NFL dead, you know? And the NBA is kind of the inverse of that, right? It's fun to, ma- to imagine or to, you know, declare you're at this historic moment where you're seeing the greatest player of all time. You're seeing the league as good as it's ever been. You know, you're seeing the birth of this and this and this. And that's just like a, it's a sports writer thing. And it's probably also just a journalist thing.
0: And it's also when you look at history and how people perceive history, it's amazing how much staying on TV helps some of these guys, you know, like. Barkley, if he just went away after he played, yeah. would, would be considered like, yeah, he was really good. He went head-to-head with MJ, won an MVP. He's one of the best 25 players ever. We wouldn't think about him any more than we think about Rick Barry, you know, or uh, I'm trying to think of like Bob Pettit. He would just be on these lists. And because he's on TV and they're constantly rehashing his career and making fun of him for no rinks, his career is actually feels like – it was more important and influential than it was, and it was really important <laughs> and influential. Isaiah Thomas being on TV now helps people constantly be reminded that this guy was one of the best point guards ever. Um, Paul Pierce being on TV now, it's a reminder that he was the 08 Finals MVP. Other guys, Steve Nash, nobody's really thought about him in five years because he's intentionally kept you know, his distance. If Steve Nash was on ABC and ESPN all the time, I actually think he would get more credit for, oh, that's the guy. This is why basketball is yeah. where it is. And they'd be talking about it over and over again. So I do think, I do think that matters. Uh, we got to run. Any, any final words? Uh,
2: I don't have a uh, parting shot. I, I, that's I'm okay. I'm actually a lazy sports writer because I, I didn't bother to do a parting shot. But I have a question for Brian. Brian wrote, you know, among the many great essays he's written about uh, sports media, you wrote the definitive piece about the talk about question um, yes. happens at all press conferences. Now like talk about that decision in the fourth quarter coach and so on. But Brian, I feel talk about has now been eclipsed by the everyone's a cameraman era of the sports uh, press conference from, it's astonishing to me. I mean, it used to be, you know, there was a real bifurcation between the print guys and the camera guys. The print guys would wander in there with their shitty tape recorders, and there with the camera people would be in, in the back elbowing. And now everyone's got their camera up. And you see Doug Peterson in, you know, interviewed after the Super Bowl, and there's 37 people holding up, more than 37. There's 50 people holding up their iPhones, recording Doug Peterson's remarks. And I wonder as I watch this, like, where is this video going? Like, is this just going into, you know, everyone's live streaming this simultaneously? Or is this a new way of recording things because we can check out body language? I don't get it, but I'm sure you've seen it and how strange it is now to just see everyone video recording every uh, athlete and coach interaction.
1: Yeah, we've gone from you know Dick Young shoving the camera guy out of the way to Dick Young would be holding his phone, right, and and filming the (laughs) interview at the locker himself. You know, it's funny too, and and I think there's something a little sad about it. There's some, there's some, especially at the Super Bowl, right? Because there's just a lot of random media people, and you're like, are you really going to use this? But you know what? We've also had this, the new like Anthony Slater, right? Like he part of his job, in addition to writing stories, is I'm going to get the like 20 second bite throw it on Twitter like in five seconds from the locker yeah. and just aggregate yeah. locker room interviews in this way that I don't think we've yeah. seen done before. And it's, it's, that's kind of yeah. fabulous. And it's kind of interesting.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah.
0: Fellas, well, we did once it.
2: again. We've proven we're old
0: East coast, Jason gay, West coast, Bill Simmons. What, what coast are you in? Brian?
1: uh uh oceana i don't know uh, oceana coast, coast. australia <laughs> are you
0: ever coming back are you gonna come back <laughs> I'm coming
1: back come back in a couple of weeks are you sure I'll be back absolutely i, I thought after
0: another nfc east team won the super bowl that we'd never see you again that that would be it you would have snapped <laughs> it,
1: was a, it was a nice time to be in a different hemisphere let's put
0: it that way <laughs> uh, all right thanks guys uh always a pleasure and if you wanted to listen to the other sports reporters. That we've done there in my archives. Thanks to ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. I might pipe on the uh, Ringer MBA show on Wednesday in case uh, any crazy trade stuff happens. If not, we're doing a blowing out the Ringer MBA show on Thursday trade deadline. And then I am doing a podcast Thursday afternoon playing off the trade deadline. Unless it is just the all time dud of a trade deadline, then I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll just call Chris Berman and ask him to come back. Thank you guys. This was fun. I
3: want to see them